This morning we are going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. Some of his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and saying the time has come, but don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before all of this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance on how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And this, my dear friends, is the word of God for us and for all of God's people. Let's be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, I'm thankful for this day. Indeed, we are all thankful for this day. God, we are also thankful for another opportunity to be here in your house. So Lord, we ask you to sit amongst us by the power of your Holy Spirit, to minister to us, to learn of how we can truly be more and more your people. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I read a quote, a quote, I read a quote a while back. They said, if a preacher wants to draw a crowd, don't ever preach on prayer, fasting, or spiritual discipline. Instead, preach about the second coming. And this does seem to be true. And if I were to guess, I would say that some of you who, when you got your bulletin this morning and you looked ahead to see what we were going to be talking about today, maybe you even got a little bit excited at the thought of talking about the second coming. Because there's a, there's a lot of people that are intrigued by that, by the study of the things to come. It's actually one of my favorite things about doctrine and theology and everything to study. Because we all really have a, a hunger and a thirst to want to know more and more about these things. We can look back in the 1800s when um, this uh, Irish preacher named Charles Nelson Darby 
He popularized the doctrines of dispensationalism and the, and the rapture. And when he was doing all of this, he filled countless buildings and countless tents and in fields everywhere all over Ireland and beyond with people coming from all over to hear more about, um, about his teachings on this. In more recent history, we have people like Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins who wrote the Left Behind series. Every one of the books that came out, I think it was seven books in that series or so, each, each one sold millions of copies. I remember this came out when I was in high school, and I, I read those books myself, and they were very well written and very intriguing. I, I could read one in about a day, and they were 250, 300 pages each, something like that. So, More recently, John Hagee, um, he wrote books like Jerusalem Countdown and The Four Blood Moons. Each one of those sold millions of copies as well. And again, it just shows that we have a real thirst for knowledge about the things to come. And there's even an area of study within theology, like I said, that studies these things. The study of those last things is called eschatology. Eschatology involves much about life after death as well. It involves the judgments and certainly a big uh, aspect of eschatology, which literally means the study of last things, is the return of Christ. It's the end of the world as we know it. As Christians, we kind of live in a tension between Jesus telling us as his disciples to live in a constant state of readiness, to always be prepared because we never know when the Lord will return. Especially when we come to the realization that after Jesus spoke these words some 2,000 or so years ago, that he has still not returned. Well, as Jesus also reveals that only the Father knows when that day and hour of the end of the age will be. We must remember that Jesus also tells us something else, though. He tells us to be working, that we have work to do. There was a preacher colleague, friend of mine, who actually put on Facebook this morning. He's actually preaching on this same passage because it's the lectionary gospel reading for today. And he said, you know, I think I'm going to open up my sermon with, Jesus is coming back, let's look busy. That may not be actually a bad thing to do. But rather than looking busy, what if we were actually busy? What if we were actually busy doing the work that God calls us to do as his people? To not just be people standing around looking at the sky waiting for something to happen but when he returns to actually be found working. Because when Jesus comes back, that indeed would be the best way to find, to, for, us to, for him to find us in. I watched a movie once, and I, I don't even remember what it was, but one of the things that one of the characters would often say is, is this where you want to be when Jesus comes back? Well, where I want to be is hard at work as one of his disciples. Let's also remember that as we confront the knowledge as well, the reality that passages like what we just read, honestly, they're kind of scary. You know, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. And if we just sit around and dwell on those things, well, that's not good either because, again, that acts as a distraction from what we are called to do. 
Because if we get beyond that imagery of, of destruction, you know what we're left with? We're left with a message of wonderful things to come, of knowing that these are things that must happen before God's kingdom fully comes. My friends, what these passages really do, and even as scary as they sound, is they encourage us, and they indeed give us hope. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty that comes with change, and I'm sure I don't have to tell you that. Because if you've been alive for more than five minutes, you know that one of the constants in life is change. That everything in our entire lives changes on a daily basis. The times in which we live, those change as well. And that's partially what Jesus was trying to help his his disciples to understand when he spoke these words in Luke 21, when he said that the temple would even be destroyed. Because yes, he was giving a prophecy about a building, for sure. Because the temple was indeed destroyed very shortly after these words were spoken, as a matter of fact. But he was also talking about the world itself. He was giving a prophecy about not just that building, but about everything. The point being is that temples of all sorts, they're built, they're torn down, they're rebuilt, and then it all repeats. Jesus makes it clear that change is a given, that nothing is ever going to stay the same. There was a man in the former church that I served before I came here. One of the things he would say, and Jessica can attest to this, almost every time I saw him, the one thing he would say is, this is just not the country I grew up in. Well, he's right. Because things have changed so much. But this isn't even the country that I grew up in. Because things change so much throughout our lives. Jesus is letting us know about that, that nothing ever stays the same. But what our calling is, is to just keep on rolling with it. Just keep on going. Because we have, of all, we have a hope of all things being made new again. Jesus is also warning us about the fact that conflict is just going to happen. That it's one of those things that's going to happen throughout our lives and Honestly, there's really nothing we can do about it. I may have to do that again at some point. But we have conflict in our DNA. It is part of our sinful nature. Maybe you've heard of the story of Cain and Abel. We got conflict even there. And even just in the, in the time that I've been alive, I've been alive long enough to see military conflicts and outright wars in places like Panama and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, uh, Somalia, Afghanistan. Some of those, of course, are still going on. And maybe you've noticed this too, is that every time there's some kind of skirmish that breaks out somewhere in the world, that people will point to that event And if you're on Facebook, you see this too, because everybody and their sister will start posting about prophecy and all of this. Oh, that's the sign. There it is. That means the end is here. Well, yes, Jesus did warn of wars and even rumors of wars that were going to happen. 
But he also says that this is going to happen throughout human history as long as it continues until his return. But, you know, Jesus is not just talking about military conflict here. Jesus is also warning us that conflict is going to come about, that war is even going to come about against people who proclaim Christ the loudest and who seek to live the most boldly in the gospel teachings. He promises that standing up for our beliefs will be among the things that earn us scorn in society. He promises us this. And in the worst of times and in the worst of places like Middle Eastern countries and and China, where churches literally have to go underground sometimes, where a church building is really hard to find, but if you go to a house, you might just encounter a congregation singing and praising God. But in places like that, that's where persecution is truly taking place. And we never know where the next place might be. And Jesus flats out, flat out warns us about this. So when we know that this stuff is going to happen, and, and I know this is very scary stuff, and you probably are maybe even a little bit uncomfortable with me standing up here and talking about this today. I see your feet shuffling. It's all right. This is scary stuff. But what do we do? What do we do knowing that this stuff and even more is going to come about and that it's going to happen no matter what we do? Do we simply just lay low and wait for Jesus to come and make it better? Do we just stick around with our heads up and pointed to the sky waiting? Do we just sit around and twiddle our thumbs until something happens? Well, in case you didn't know, the answer is no. That's not what we're called to do. As a matter of fact, that is the complete opposite of what Christ has called us as Christians to do. You see, Christians are not people who just stand around waiting to meet Jesus in the clouds or or wherever. We don't just sit around waiting for that moment to happen. We are people who are given a mission and a mandate. And we are people who, if we are truly committed to our discipleship, We should desire to be found working in the fields and otherwise in the mission field when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns to the world for one and all to see. You know, we have a lot of people in this world that I will refer to as sideline Christians. And if you've been to a sporting event, and unfortunately even like a youth sporting event where kids are at a soccer field like at Northeast Park or the JC Complex and they're just running around playing soccer and just having a good time. And maybe they're not playing it correctly, but so what? They're out there having fun, right? Inevitably, you're going to have some person yelling on the sidelines at the coaches and yelling at the players and yelling at the referees and telling them everything they're doing is wrong. Well, we have that in Christianity too. Have you noticed that? Because in the minds of these people, they have their fire insurance. They have their faith. They're good to go. They're just waiting for that day that they can cash in their policy and and enjoy eternity forever and ever by and by, pie in the sky and all that. 
And in the meantime, if while they're waiting for this day to come, they like to shout from the sidelines. Now, they're not doing anything with their discipleship other than sitting on it. But they like to yell from the sidelines and tell everybody else what they're doing wrong. You're living wrong. I don't agree with who you voted for. You better get right. Y'all ever met any of these people? Telling us that we're not doing that we're not doing it right, that we're that we're wrong. But then we have others who are getting off the sidelines. We have people that are joining in the game and they're out doing the work that the Lord wants them to do, knowing that when Christ comes back, and he most assuredly is coming back, knowing that the best thing for them to be doing is to be found working for the Lord rather than just sitting around waiting to collect their heavenly reward. But you know, this conflict has been happening in the church almost as long as there's been a church. If you look elsewhere in the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul was facing this very issue in his church in Thessalonica. He wrote this, verse 11 through 13. Yet we know that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. You see, Paul wasn't just talking about people being lazy in general. And often these verses are invoked to talk about why being lazy is a bad thing. And, and don't get me wrong, I agree with that. But that's really not what Paul was talking about. Paul was talking about people who were so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good at all. They weren't, even, they weren't even going to the trouble of going to make a living for themselves. There was a common belief that went around the church at some point during all of this, when the early church was getting started, that the people who were alive at the time that Christ was crucified and when he ascended into heaven, that those people would not die before Jesus came back. In other words, they thought the return of Christ was going to happen in their lifetime. There is absolutely nothing in Scripture that I can find to support such a belief, but that was what some people went around saying. And so these people who had this belief, and like Paul was talking about in, in 2 Thessalonians, they were basically just standing around doing this number. All right, Jesus, come back. I'm ready for my wings. You know, they were kind of just doing that number. And they were so focused on watching for Jesus that they couldn't even be bothered to go out and make a living for themselves. That they and their families were having to live off the kindness of others because they refused to work. Because when Jesus came back, they didn't want to be at work. They wanted to be ready, they, they thought anyway. And they were just sitting around waiting for something to happen. And they were guilty of sin in doing this. By being so focused on the future and on their reward in heaven that they were totally disconnected from the world in which God had placed them in and called them to serve. But here's the problem. The problem has continued into today. 
This is a problem that still persists in the church today. Not necessarily that there are people who believe that the return of Christ is going to happen in their lifetime necessarily, and they're so focused on that that they don't even go to work. It's not so much that as it is, is that we just do in general sit around and wait, spiritually speaking. We have our faith, we have our discipleship, or at least we think we do, and we're not exercising it. We're sitting on it. We're not doing anything with it. We wait for Jesus. We wait for someone else to move, all the while yelling at our neighbors for not living in the way that we think they ought to be living. Passing judgment on others for how they dress and how they vote and things like that. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about anybody here. I'm just speaking in general. So don't, don't think if I'm looking at you that I'm thinking you're doing those things. This is a, this is a church-wide problem. Big C. Huge problem. Here's another part of that problem, is that when we do those things and we sit on the sideline and we don't do anything with our discipleship, we miss out on so much. We miss out on the opportunity to see God or to see people how God sees them. To see them as worthy of love. To really see their struggles, their hopes, and their fears. To take the opportunity to ask someone, how can I pray for you? What can I do to help how do you need to be blessed, and is there something I can do to be a part of that? We also tend to be very dismissive of others' fears and their feelings rather than being supportive and loving as God has called us to do, to treat others as we ourselves want to be treated. And when we sit on the sidelines, we tend to lecture instead of listen. And that's not what God has called us to do. God has not made any of us the sin police. God has not made any of us the lifestyle police. Our mission is simply to love. And one of the things that I'm most thankful for, and I want to, and I want to give you all some, some well-deserved praise for being the hands and feet of Jesus. If you were here the other day when 25 families were blessed through those food bags that we've distributed from Wesley House. You know, one of the things, and I don't know if you all heard any of this, but one of the things I picked up on was that if we had not done that, if we had not made ourselves available, that they may not have been able to receive that blessing. It's a very good possibility that they wouldn't have been. And that's one of the reasons why Brother Dave wanted to do that here and in a couple other areas to see how it would work. It's because people in this part of town have a hard time getting to Wesley House sometimes for, for one reason or another. So by making ourselves available, by refusing to sit on the sidelines, by saying, yes, we are going to live into what God is calling us to do for our neighbors, 25 people, 25 families received a blessing in the form of sustenance for a little while that'll be a major benefit to them and to their families. And if Jesus had come back in that moment, those of us that were there that day definitely would have been found busy 
we would have been working. You know, that's a certainty there, though, is that Jesus is coming back. And we can sit around and talk about how and when and where and all this is going to happen. You know, at the end of the day, how much does that really matter? What matters is that he is coming back. And that should be a day that we all look forward to. But let's remember something else that Jesus said. We don't know when it's going to happen. Only God the Father knows. And honestly, I think if Jesus, as he was speaking to his disciples in that moment, if he had known the exact time, date, place, and all that, he wouldn't have told them. I think he would have kept that to himself. So with knowing that we don't know when, for all we know, it could be in an hour, it could be in a week, it could be another thousand years from now. I hope not, but it could be. But regardless of when it comes, it is not our calling to just be on the sidelines waiting for something to happen. Our calling when Jesus comes back is to be found busy. So my friends, let's get off our benches, let's get off of our bleachers. And let's face those fears and uncertainties head on. Yes, those rumors of wars. Yes, even the threat of persecution in some ways. Let's face those fears head on. Because Jesus promises us, and we have promises throughout Scripture, that all things will be made new. We have the hope of a new heaven and a new earth and a totally new creation. We have the hope of God's kingdom fully coming about. And knowing that we have that promise, my brothers and sisters, my call to you and to me is let's all live into that now. Let's live like we know. My friends, I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.